Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church in West Des Moines, Iowa. This sermon is part of our mission to bless our neighbors to the glory of God. We hope it blesses you. I'm going to come back to that Bible I just set on the communion table in just a moment. Uh, a moment, a few moments, several minutes. Uh, we will have the scripture lesson uh, after I've uh, chatted for just a little bit. Um, I'm going to start by introducing you to someone. He's trapped inside the pages of this book. Uh, his name is Arthur Brooks. Uh, that is a name that you may have heard of. Um, it's a name you may not have heard of, and that's fine too. Um, although he really wanted to be a name that you had heard of. Um, Arthur wanted, growing up, to be, wait for this, a superstar French horn player. Listen to him laugh at the idea of a superstar French horn player. But he wanted that. He had like posters of French horn players on his wall uh, growing up as a kid. That's the kind of person he is, apparently. And so he dedicated his practice time to the French horn. He moved halfway around the world to play in a symphony in Spain. And just as his career was starting to take off, he suffered this sudden decline in his musical ability. He could perform, but it felt like he was just swimming upstream. And he tried and he tried, but it was like he was losing himself as he was losing his ability to perform music. And you would assume that this is a bad news story. It has sounded like bad news all the way since the first time I said superstar French horn player. But Arthur was still young and mentally agile, and he was able to finish college and a PhD in economics, and he rose to become the, the president of a prominent think tank advising uh, policymakers in Washington and uh, educating the public about his understanding of how the economy should be put together. But he realized relatively soon, this gets, story gets worse and worse, doesn't it? He relative, realized relatively soon that something was missing there, too, in that work. He realized that he wasn't happy. And he realized uh, over not too very long that happiness didn't come from the achievement or the status that he had worked for and then worked for again and finally found. And that's actually a good news part of the story because we don't always learn that so soon, do we? And we end up pursuing success instead of pursuing true happiness. And we learn often too late that real happiness is much bigger than just individual satisfaction. So this is about to be a good news story. See, Arthur would understand Peter in the first uh, part of the reading that Bob uh, read for us. I certainly understand Peter in that scripture reading that Bob read for us. See, Peter has just leveled up as a disciple. He has just put into words that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for. And Peter's declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, that's going to be the foundation of the church. Everything we do in the world begins at our proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah. So, 
Peter has just accomplished something there with that realization. But then Jesus explains what it means to be the Messiah. He explains that to be the Messiah means that he will suffer and die and then be raised to life again. And Peter, he levels right back down as soon as Jesus says that. I told you last month that uh, when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, that that was practice, that Jesus would face all the same temptations all over again. And this is one of those temptations. When Peter says to Jesus, there's no way that you can be killed. This is not how this story should go. Well, that is a temptation right there. We actually face that same temptation all the time, the temptation to bring in the kingdom of heaven by some means other than suffering. But that's not how it works. The church has tried over and over again to inaugurate the kingdom of heaven in the world. We've tried it at the point of a sword. We've tried it at the point of a gun. We have tried it with legislation. We have tried it with controlling what people can say or learn. We as church people have often settled for a facsimile of the kingdom of heaven where we live in harmony, isolated along lines of race, culture, language, economics, political or social priorities. We have often settled for what we can achieve rather than living into the kingdom of heaven that Jesus has come to bring into the world because that kingdom of heaven comes into the world through Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection. I understand that temptation myself. I am not genuinely ready for what the kingdom of heaven requires as it comes into our lives in the world. And so I'm tempted to depend on human power to do what only the gospel can truly do, because I assume that if God is doing something in the world, then it should come easily to me. And when I say that assumption out loud, it sounds as ludicrous as it truly is. All of which is to say that I sympathize with Peter. I want the kingdom to come, but I don't want to get there the way that it takes to get there. The Franciscan priest Richard Rohr has said that resurrection takes care of itself. It is getting people into the tomb that is hard. Just like Peter, I'm not ready for what that entails. But Jesus doesn't ask us whether we're ready. Jesus tells us what the path of salvation requires, and he promises to walk that path ahead of us and with us. And only then does Jesus show us what Jesus is going to show us next, a little piece of what that resurrection unveils. So he's going to let Peter stew for six days. I've only let you stew for about seven minutes here. Jesus let Peter stew for six days with that knowledge, I must suffer and die. And then this is what happens. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. There's a textual variant that says, and his hair did that thing. Where am I? Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. 
Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my Son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This, too, is the word of the Lord. So that scene is true, and Jesus warns his disciples not to talk about that scene, not to talk about what they have just witnessed until after Jesus' death and resurrection, because it's not possible to truly see, properly see God's glory without seeing first how we get there. Because if we only read the transfiguration story by itself, only those eight verses from the beginning of chapter 17, if we only read that without Jesus' words about death and resurrection, it looks like that movie superhero powering up in order to go smash the bad guy. But Jesus wants us to understand that that is not what the kingdom of heaven is about. The kingdom of heaven is not about defeating one bad guy. The kingdom of heaven is about overcoming evil altogether, and only the resurrection can do that. The transfiguration reveals that this Jesus who will be killed and raised again is the beloved Son of God, not just any old powerless victim of Roman power, and there were plenty of victims No, Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God with us and with every victim of sin and brokenness. Jesus himself will explicitly identify himself with the victims of sin and brokenness in just a few weeks in the story that we will read on Palm Sunday. And so to follow Jesus is to go where he is, to turn toward those who suffer, not away from them, to turn toward loss and lack and not away from it. And the good news is that Jesus does, in fact, reveal God's presence in the world with us. Jesus does, in fact, change death into life, and he does it by walking with us through death. Arthur already knew that. Um, He already knew that the deepest truth of life is somewhere buried, hidden inside difficulty and struggle. He is a committed Roman Catholic and knows his Bible well. But it turns out that what is true of life is true of happiness as well. The deeper Arthur dug looking for happiness, the more clear it became that happiness comes from three places, from making a meaningful contribution in the world, 
from reducing our desires for more, more stuff, more achievement, more status, whatever more is in our lives. And most of all, happiness comes from relationships. Arthur says, at the end of the day, happiness is love, full stop. Happiness is love. And that presented Arthur with a choice, a choice to continue climbing that mountain of success that, as it turned out, would make happiness harder for him to find, or to change direction again, to seek and teach happiness, which pointed to another path that turned out, in his case, not actually to be that big of a sacrifice, but it was also a sacrifice that he was joyful to get to make, a shift into teaching and mentoring. So that's not a heroic level of lose your life for my sake, but it is a gift of finding his life again, that life that can only be found and never held on to. That's the life that Jesus promises to us when we follow him. And so we follow. Amen. And now, a moment for mission. The shepherds would like to invite you to a special reception after church today to show our love and appreciation for you. We had a couple shepherds retire last year, and we were blessed to have three new shepherds in January. That means we had to adjust our lists a little bit, so some of you might have a new shepherd. I hope you know who your personal shepherd is if you are a member or a regular attendee and received a valentine in the last few weeks, then you know your personal shepherd. If you did not get one, please let us know, and uh, either we don't have your information or one of us messed up, and we'll get on that. Um, if, If happiness is love, then the shepherds are happy that each one of you is a part of our flock. So please join us today for our coffee. Thank you. And I would like to invite uh, any of the shepherds who are with us today to please stand up. And I'm going to read the names of all the shepherds, whether you are with us uh, in person today or whether you're hiding inside one of those cameras. So I'd like to recognize Tom Brown, Jean Castor, Linda Christensen, Lee Cox, Diane Johnson, Lisa McCauley, Sally Patton, Bob Rees, Susie Thompson, Margaret Thompson, and of course our chairperson, Anne McGowan. Thank you to the shepherds and blessings to the whole congregation. Thank you for listening. Learn more about our mission at wdmcovenant.org.